from the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with, uh, sorry, Teeing It Up presents uh, Danny Flecka in his weekly spot as we preview seven big football games over the next 72 hours. Seven and 72. We are going to start. Well, first of all, good morning, Danny. Good morning. Uh, it's Saturday, uh, January 9th, uh, 20, uh, 2021. We are going to start with the national championship game that we believe will be played on Monday night. You never know with COVID, um, but we believe it will be played Monday night. And you look at this matchup between Ohio State and Alabama. I said last night I thought that this would be 44 41 um, um, Alabama winning late. You look at Chris Fowler, Kirk Herbstreit's games this year. They've had an average margin of victory of 26 and a half. Uh, to me, they are prime for a close one. I think this is going to be a close one. Here's what I... Uh, there's two things I want to know. A, as somebody who has battled injuries, do you think Justin Fields is going to be 100% come Monday night? I don't think he will be. It's really hard to identify you know, exactly what is wrong with him. Um, it's been now what? They played last Friday. So yeah. It's about eight days, nine days. It'll be about ten days. You know, from the hit to kick off. You know, my my, my assumption is that he had some bruised ribs, um, maybe some you know musculoskeletal issue issues in that rib area. You know, bleak. Um, you know, which is a cause for concern if you're a quarterback. You want that rotation when you're throwing the ball. You want to be able to wiggle in and out of the pocket. Um, so I could see that being some sort of a limitation for him. But we didn't really get a clear diagnosis from Ohio State into what was wrong with him, and I think that was on purpose um, on their part. So I think he's going to be some sort of limited. Um, you know, but he was limited a week ago, and he still was able to do a lot of the things that he wanted to do. Um, if I remember correctly, in the second half, they didn't really run the ball with them too much, but I don't think I didn't think they had to, given the lead they had and the way that everyone was running the ball. Uh, but I do think that he will be a little bit, you know, not rusty, but maybe a little tight to start the game. Anytime you have any sort of injury, despite stretching and warming up, you know, the first 10 or 15 minutes or so after you actually engage in the activity, um, you're still feeling a little tight, a little, you know, conservative. So I think we'll see a little bit of that from him. But, you know, after watching him play last week, it's really hard for, for me at least to say that he's going to see his game diminish, um, you know, because he's hurt. Because, I mean, he had one hell of a performance last week after taking that hit. You know, one of the things um, about this game that I find that's, that's interesting is that here we are way, way, way removed from the original um, start of the season, which for all of these um, teams was at different points in time, and practice could have meant the summer, practice could have meant the fall. There, there's a lot of different definitions going around. And you look at Jaden Waddle, um, uh, sorry, Jalen Waddle for Alabama, who nobody thought would come back this year and now has a possibility of playing Monday night, what would his impact be for Alabama? Yeah, I think with Jalen Waddle, what you see is he'll be able to stretch the field. 
um, and really provide more of that underneath option for Mac Jones, you know, with Devontae Smith and their um, tight end. I can't remember anything off the top of my head. So I think that's what would happen with Waddle, that you would create more, more, you know, verticality to their offense, uh, open up underneath stuff, open up the ability to run the ball, do some play action, deep stuff. Not to, you know, they, they've been doing that all year, but throwing in another wrinkle, um, that definitely can take the top off the defense, definitely stretch that Ohio State secondary. And they're not that great to begin with. They play um, a lot of off-man coverage. They fail on a lot of routes. You know, we saw that in, in the Clemson game, and Herb Street was right on it with Sean Wade. They're supposed to be one of the top prospects at Florida this year, and I just don't see it with him, to be honest. But he has, you know, a bail technique, so he's going to respect the speed of the receivers, Fail on, on the route to hopefully not get beat over the top. And we saw that Clemson was able to take advantage of some stuff underneath. That's their play action comes into play. You know, if you're going to be bailing out on those vertical routes, you can play that underneath stuff, those comeback routes, 15 yards, the hook routes for first down, um, and then even some of that, you know, deep dig routes because he's going to be way out of position. So a guy like Jalen Wild just opens up more of those options for the Alabama offense. You have always said to me, adrenaline, adrenaline, adrenaline. So we look at Jalen Hurts, who was able to finish that game against um, uh, finish that game against Clemson. And you always tell me adrenaline is this really powerful thing. And sometimes you don't feel the pain until way later after the game, once you start you know, going through treatment and you wake up the, the next morning. Conversely, Waddle may need the adrenaline to get through this if he's not fully 100%. So as you look at these two guys banged up, playing, we don't know what percent they are, we don't know what status they really are, um, is the lack of adrenaline coming in for Waddle, uh, sorry, is the, is, is the hype for Waddle playing and is the fact that, um, that uh, 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 for Justin Fields, his his adrenaline has gone down. Uh, do you see any um, I- impact there? Maybe a little bit, but that's why I think you know as they evolve into the game, you know, their performance will increase. You know, and be more efficient. Um, for both of these guys, you know, the adrenaline and motivation should be there from the kickoff. Um, both of them are going to be first round picks. Both of them are most likely playing their last game for their respective teams. And both of them are playing for a national championship. So I think from from that standpoint, the adrenaline will be running, you know, from the kickoff. I think again, you know, for for Fields, it's about getting into the game, settling down. Uh, you know, he, he didn't really get hit a lot in the second half after he took that initial hit. So probably getting a hit out of the way, just to understand how his body's going to be able to absorb it and take it. And for Waddle, I think it's going to be, you know, stepping onto that field and running some routes and just, you know. Doing it at game speed, understanding you know, what his limitations might be and what he can bring to the table. I'm not 100% convinced Bottle plays. I, I think it's a smoke screen by Alabama. But if he does play, you know, Ohio State's going to have to respect him. You know, he had like 526 yards in the five games that he played. But he's clearly an explosive threat. Um, he might be, you know, you know, they might carry big opportunities for him to return kicks. You know, even though that's how we got hurt. He's on a kickoff return. Um, but, you know, he presents another, you know, option for Alabama if he does go out there. So I think for both those players, you know, we know Fields is going to play. We'll see if Waddle plays. 
but I think it's just about getting into the game and understanding what you can do and what your limitations are, and then, you know, building on top of what your strengths are for that particular game. My apologies if I called Justin Fields Jalen Hurts earlier. I'm not sure if I did, but if I did, I apologize. All right, two things, combined question. A, what do you think is going to happen? B, are cramps a threat? This game is in Miami. We have seen cold-weather teams play big games in warm-weather venues and run into cramping issues. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I'll, I'll answer the second question first. I think that's going to be, you know, a storyline perhaps. Um, I don't know what the weather outlook is like for Monday night. Um, but Ohio State's been playing in Dome the last two games. Um, Alabama is the same thing. So I think that, you know, if anything, they should understand the sort of climate they're going to be in. What I expect from this game, it's really tough, you know, because part of me thinks that Ohio State, through everything that they had at Clemson, understanding what they did to them last year, that tasting their mouth, you know, emotionally, can Ohio State withstand, uh, you know, Alabama punch them in the face a couple of times? Uh, you know, Ohio State's had probably the toughest year from a COVID perspective, from a not playing perspective to playing perspective. You know, they, they've had a lot to deal with from a first standpoint, um, more so than Alabama. But I think if Ohio State can run a similar script that they did against Clemson, you know, be able to run the ball for, uh, you know, good yardage, manageable third down situations, being able to hit some deep passes, being able to, you know, get Justin Fields out of the pocket. And on the other side of the ball, you know, we saw what Notre Dame did against Alabama in the run game. They were able to limit Najee Harris, not really make him that much of a factor. We saw that Devontae Smith, no matter who he plays, is going to be a factor. But if Ohio State defensively, that D-line, which was really impressive against Clemson, can step up and get some pressure on Matt Jones, force uncomfortable situations, put Alabama in spots they haven't been in all year, I think they'll be able to keep it close. So I think it's going to be a fun game. I think you have two great play callers, you know, and in the college game right now, Sarkeesian and Ryan Day. I think both teams have a really good pulse on their on their rosters and what they can do. And you have both teams stacked, you know, from a roster perspective. You know, we're going to see some great athletes out there, probably five or six first-rounders, you know, on both teams going at it. So I think it's going to be a close game to spread eight. My pick is, is Ohio State, um, and for one reason. And I look back at all the national championship games and college football games, college football playoff games that Alabama's played, they're 3-7 against the spread, and they're, oh, I'm trying to think, hold on a second, I think 0-3 or 0-4 national championship games. Um, so I think with the number being 8 over a touchdown, I'm leaving Ohio State and taking them with the point. We shall see what happens when they get going. Low to mid-70s and clear skies for Miami Gardens, Florida on Monday night. So, that is your weather. Yep, that is your weather update. All right, now time for the National Football League, and we begin this super wild card weekend um, and get ready for the slime tomorrow on Nickelodeon, um, <laughs> which Sean Payton says that he'll take the slime. Um, we begin with Indy Buffalo. 6,700 people are going to be allowed inside New Era Stadium, which is no longer going to be called New Era Stadium by the time we're done with this. Um, with this calendar year, 
the, the way that I look at this game is this is such a big day for Buffalo. This is such a big day for the city of Buffalo, for, for upstate New York in general. Can Indianapolis come out early, maybe win the coin toss, get the ball and just start rolling? I think that that's where they have a potential advantage here over Buffalo, just with Buffalo potentially being too uh, high, because I fully believe that Buffalo um, belongs in the discussion for who will end up in the AFC Championship game and is the much better team than Indianapolis. So if I'm a Colt fan, uh, if you win the coin toss, you need to take the ball and give it to Phillip Rivers. Uh, If not, Buffalo wins this game, and I think they win this game comfortably. Yeah, it's an interesting game. You know, on one side, you have Buffalo, who's been dynamic all year long. One of the best teams against the spread. Dynamic, young quarterback. <laughs> coaching staff. I don't think they get enough credit. I think they, are, they have one of the best coaching staff in the NFL. On the other side of the ball, you have, I think, also another good coaching staff. Frank Wright's a great head coach. Uh, Matt Everflute is a good defensive coordinator, um, a young roster, but an aging quarterback. And I think that's where I see the difference, is that Buffalo's going to want to put the ball in Josh Allen's hand, and Indianapolis is going to want to take the ball out of Bill Rivers' hand. And what they need to do is run the ball with Josh Taylor, Naeem Hines, and Jordan Wilkins. They need to run for 150 to 200 yards, I think, in this game to be effective. Um, Bill Rivers isn't going to win you the game. I think he needs to manage the game. I think he needs to play with the lead. Um, I just don't know how realistic that is. But I do think that Jonathan Taylor is an X factor in this game. We saw that for whatever reason, they waited until week 12, week 13 to really give him the backfield. And we've seen what he's done. He's dynamic in between the tackles. He's fast. He, can, he has breakaway speed. He can provide um, an option in the passing game. And he's efficient. Um, and I, I think that's what Indianapolis needs to do in order to win this game. On the defensive side of the ball, you know, a lot has been made to speak about how the Colts play a zone team. They're going to be a pass funneling defense. But they've been really shaky the last couple of weeks. So how do you provide, you know, Josh, how do you provide those plays where you get Josh Allen off schedule? If you allow them, you know, to, to provide, you know, enough push up front to get Josh Allen to throw, you know, maybe off his back foot, not allow him to escape the pocket, maybe force Buffalo to run the ball in certain situations so you don't have that threat of the play action pass, um, and, you know, limit those big plays. Um, is Diggs healthy? Is Beasley healthy? You know, what are we going to see from them? I, I do agree with you. I think Buffalo is a better team. I think Indianapolis, if they can play bully ball a little bit, you know, with their offensive line and their defensive line. I think they can keep the game close to spread six and a half, seven, depending on where you're getting it. I do think it's a, a touchdown game, but I think Buffalo is just a better team and Josh Allen has proved so far this year that he is an up-and-comer and a really dynamic player, and hopefully we don't see a repeat of last year, uh, you know, with them as well as the to be in a playoff game. But, you know, all the pressure is on Buffalo. they got to come out and perform. But I do think it's going to be a little bit closer than people expect. I do think Indianapolis can provide some sort of challenge for most of this game. But if, if Indianapolis is looking for Phil Rivers to throw the ball 30 to 40 times today, then you're going to lose this game. 
next up uh, are two games that I'm confused by some of the uh, betting lines. So we'll we'll go through that. We start with Indy. Sorry, we we start with Seattle uh, Rams in a game where I don't believe the Rams have announced who the starting quarterback is. Correct. No, I haven't seen anything. Yeah, so now we're looking at a situation where Russell Wilson's an MVP candidate. They're at home. It's rainy. You have no idea who the quarterback for Los Angeles is going to be. If it's Jared Goff, you have no idea how good this broken thumb is. Um, And for me, uh, it's a three-point line. What? Huh? Is this the lack of fans? Why is this a three-point line? Los Angeles, Rams stink. The Jets beat them. The Jets beat them. This team, no matter who the quarterback is, stinks in quiet environments. And there's going to be no juice. Why is this a three-point line? This should be like an eight, nine, ten-point line in my mind. Yeah, it's a three-point line because these teams know each other so well and play tough against each other. The first meeting was uh, a, a touchdown game in Los Angeles. second meeting was a Seattle win, but a lot closer than, than the score indicated. I think the Rams match up perfectly on defense against Seattle. They can get interior pressure with Donald against Wilson. They have some good edge rushers with Brockers and Floyd. They have fast linebackers to cover, you know, in those short intermediate spaces and help them in the run game. And they have a lockdown corner in Ramsey that's going to be on DK Metcalf. But I think from a defensive perspective, this is the last team Seattle probably wanted to see. On the other side of the ball, you know, the Seattle defense has been playing well. But how much is Adams going to be affected by the injury he sustained last week? Will Los Angeles be able to run the ball at all? Because I think that's really important to them. Today, they have to be able to run the ball. And be careful with the ball. They can't have any turnovers. I think it's going to be a close game. I thought... When I looked at the line, four and a half was about right. We've seen a bet down, which just shows how much respect people have for the Rams and the Jay and that defense. For me, my play in this game is to be under. I know it's an obvious play. Everyone is just playing it, playing it, throwing out stats about it. But sometimes the obvious play is the way to go. You know, the Rams have hit 12 and 4 in the under this year. Seattle is 6-1 in their last seven in the under. Both of the games they've played against this year have been on the under. I think it's going to be a bloodfest. I think it's going to really come down to who turns the ball over, who has the ball last, and which quarterback is going to make a play. And my bet's on Russell Wilson just because he's healthy, and we've seen him do it. But I think it's going to be a really, really close game. Probably somewhere around like 2017, 2117. Um, but I think it's going to, we're going to see both defenses have to win this game for these teams in order to move, off, move on. Um, also, uh, there's a puzzling line tonight, 8-15 uh, Eastern on NBC. Mike Tirico calling this game from his Ann Arbor, Michigan home studio. Tony Dungy on site in Washington. You get Tampa versus Washington. It's eight points. To me, this should be 80 points. I don't see how Washington keeps this game close unless Tom Brady turns it over. And in my mind... Uh, 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 Danny Flecker with us here on Teeing It Up. Uh, on, in, on my mind, in my mind, you look at tonight's game, and I think if Tampa gets up and gets up quickly, this could be just an absolute boring just slugfest that just becomes one side dominating. In my mind, 
Uh, uh, Tampa wins this thing by 20-plus points. I don't think this is anywhere close. I would take the points uh, in a heartbeat if I was uh, a, a Tampa fan because I don't think they keep this close. Yeah, and, and that's the way I look at it, which means that we should probably think about it the other way, right? <laughs> um, it's saying that Washington can create that pressure that gets to Brady. The defense is good on the Washington side. I think it's a little bit closer, you know, around 10 points or so. My concern is what you just mentioned. If Nick Bay gets up to a 10 nothing lead, 13 nothing lead, what's Washington going to do in order to combat that? Um, their defense can only keep them in, I think, for so long. You're going to need their offense to make some plays. Their most dynamic players are Terry McLaurin and Antonio Gibson. And Tampa Bay is one of the best rush defenses in the league. So you're going to think that Antonio Gibson is going to have some issues. I think if you're Washington, you're probably going to be looking to utilize the tight end, those short spaces, take advantage of some of the inexperience they have in the secondary, maybe take some shots deep. But I really am nervous if I'm back in Washington, what happens if they get down? Because I just don't know how Washington is going to create points from like a neutral perspective. You know, obviously if they create some turnovers, get some short fields, et cetera, they should be able to capitalize on some, some opportunities. But if they have to continuously drive the ball 60, 70 yards in order to get points, it's going to be tough. Um, so that's why I'm also leading on this game in the under. I just don't know how Washington is going to score 17 to 20 points in this game. I think Tampa might have some issues, too, just because these teams have issues in prime time. Tom Brady has been, been good, but not good against pressure. Um, you know, Mike Evans, what's his availability going to be? How effective is he going to be? Are they going to be able to run the ball and create some of those play-action passes, you know, with that defensive front? Um, it's going to be an interesting game. I think if this game is close at halftime, Washington's got every opportunity to win this game. But if Washington's down like 17-7 or 13-0 at half, it's going to be really tough for them to come back. So I'll play the total. I'll play the under. And, you know, hope that this game is a little bit slower paced and that both teams have a little bit of a difficulty finding the end zone. Baltimore, Tennessee, by the way, I'm, I'm totally with you. Washington only wins this game if it's a close, messy slugfest. If anybody gets a lead, it's going to be very tough for Washington with their lack of big weapons to make up points in a hurry. Excuse me. Um, and then there's a whole separate question about will they play multiple quarterbacks if, if Alex Smith's calf acts up. In terms of Baltimore, Tennessee, I think the question here is, is Baltimore's recent run to make, to make the playoffs uh, a smokescreen? And, you know, Tennessee, look, you get Derrick Henry over 2,000 yards. He's the most obvious guy to try to rein in. And to me, this is a 24-21 type game. I, I can see this being very close. I'm not sure what to think about either team. If I had money on this game, I'm running away from it. I don't know what to think. Yeah, I took Baltimore minus three. Um, I just think that eventually Baltimore is going to get over that hump. I think Tennessee has beaten up on good, on bad teams offensively. Um, they had a tough time against Baltimore the first time they played, but they had a you know a nice comeback. Really tough to do that twice. I, I just like Baltimore in this game. They're healthy. They've gotten back to what they've done well, which is run the ball. They're going to run the ball down their throat. Um, you know, you're going to see J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, Mark Ingram all get, you know, I think 10-plus carries. Throw in there Lamar Jackson as well. I, I just think that, you know, Tennessee defensively, 
does not have enough to stop them. And they have one of the worst third down, down defenses in the league, if not the worst. So if they get into third and short, you know, we've seen that Baltimore is aggressive as well. They're the best field goal kicker, too, in the league. And, and uh, Justin Tucker, I, I just like Baltimore in this game. I know Tennessee's been good. Tannehill's been good. Uh, Henry's been good. All those things. Um, but I just don't think Tennessee can have three straight performances against Baltimore where they come out and, and beat them. So I'm, I'm leaving Baltimore. Uh, I think that they're just, you know, they got a chip on their shoulder. They're hot. Jackson seems to understand exactly what he needs to be doing in order to be successful. So I'm going to back Baltimore in this game, minus three. You know, to me, that's basically a pickup, right? You're, you're, you're saying that, that Baltimore and Tennessee are evenly matched. So I'll take Baltimore minus three and hope that Lamar Jackson gets that playoff monkey off his shoulder. You can see that game on ABC, ESPN, ESPN2, ESPN Plus, and Freeform. Do you even know, Danny Flecka, what channel Freeform is for you? Yeah, probably ESPN. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next up is Chicago, New Orleans, which is on CBS, Nickelodeon, and Amazon Prime Video. Do you know what channel Nickelodeon is? Uh... Yeah, but I'm not going to watch it on there. <laughs> Sean Payton says if they win, he's okay being slimed. Um, which may tell you what kind of mood he's in facing a Chicago team. Look, if Drew Brees stays upright and they play on Sunday and Alvin Kamara is going to be back, you know, get all the running backs back, if, if they stay upright... I don't see how they lose this game. Uh, that that line is 10. I could see that line being 110. Um, this, to me, is a not even close blowout. I'm with you there. I think if New Orleans plays their, their best game, there's no reason why they shouldn't win this game in a runaway. You know, Chicago has one chance, I think, in this game, and that's to uh, force turnovers. Um I just don't see that happening because on the other side of the ball, Trubisky, or, you know, Trubisky gives up the ball. So, you know, Chicago's got to hope that the Saints have one of their worst games ever, that Breeze is really, really um, compromised. I just don't see it. I think New Orleans, at, this, at some point, they just have to show up and have a performance in the playoffs that they're going to be able to, to, you know, be proud of. And I think this is the year... I like the Saints a lot in general, you know, heading into the playoffs. So I, I, I'm taking the Saints. Uh, I just don't see how Chicago can, can, can hang their defense a little banged up with their corners, with their linebackers. So I'm taking the Saints all the way in this game. Tony Romo will call this game remotely from Dallas due to COVID protocols. And then we go to Sunday night. And you've got Cleveland-Pittsburgh. That game will be available on NBC in the Peacock streaming service. Danny, the way that I look at Cleveland-Pittsburgh is the following. Does Cleveland have stage fright? This team is good enough in my mind to hang with Pittsburgh, especially a Pittsburgh team that has been slouching and has been going the wrong direction momentum-wise over the last three, four, five weeks, really after their long COVID break. Um, uh, the uh, uh, break around Thanksgiving, and you wonder if not having a bye since week four is catching up with them. For Cleveland, they've just not been on this stage, and it's Baker Mayfield, and it's a, it's a group of guys that have just not been here. And my question is, will potentially being tired slash 
sloppy play win versus potential stage fright in the Browns. Yeah, I, I think for me this is just about matchups too, to be honest. I think this is the worst possible matchup for Cleveland. Pittsburgh owns them. Pittsburgh has that defense that's going to come after Baker Mayfield. We saw them have issues with them last week with a bunch of backups in there. And I just think it's a bad matchup overall. Not to mention you're not going to have your head coach available either. Yeah. I feel, I feel bad for Cleveland because it's an opportunity for them, one they haven't had in, in you know, 16, 17, 18 years. I can't remember when the last time they made the playoffs was, but I just think it's a bad matchup. They're probably the last team that they wanted to play was Pittsburgh. They unfortunately got them and haven't played them last week, too. I just think it's going to be really, really tough for them. You know, anything could happen. You know, one of these games, an underdog's going to win. We see it every single year. But I just don't think that Cleveland has the ability to match up with Pittsburgh. And, you know, Pittsburgh... Pittsburgh has been, you know, kind of in neutral the last couple of weeks. Um, but I, I just don't think that Cleveland has the skill set on the defensive side to match up with what they're going to they're gonna see. And then throwing that Pittsburgh is going to come after them on defense, I think it's going to be really, really tough for uh, Cleveland to, to stay in this game. Real fast, six-point line, how much of that is influenced by Stefanski not being able to coach? Um, a good amount. It went up, I think, two or three points after Stefanski was ruled out. I think mm. it opened up at four and it went up to six. So I think there you're seeing some, some of that um, effect of not having their head coach there. Danny Flecka, um, thank you for joining us. Would you like to stay for another 30 minutes previewing the last two rounds of, of the Century Tournament of Champions? No, my only take on that is our, our boy Xander better... Um, better jump up a couple more spots. I know he's in, he's what, in third or fourth right now? So I'd yeah. like to see him get up to maybe second or first. A win would be nice to open up the season. Danny Flecka, thank you, as always, for joining us on Teeing It Up. No problem, my man. Have a good day. You got it. Enjoy your football weekend, and everybody out there, enjoy their football weekend. Take care.